Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. A few years ago, I saw a movie. I think it was around 2014. You all probably saw it too. God's Not Dead. Remember that movie? Well, a student was taking a philosophy class. First day of class, the professor stands up and he says, God is dead. And he says, if you want to pass this class, I want you to sign a piece of paper, put God is dead on the paper, and then sign your name to it. And everybody in the class, there's probably 80 people in this class, right? Everybody in the class did it, except for one student. Can you imagine being that student? He, he must have sung this song, Who Can Stand Against Us If Our God Is For Us? It wasn't written yet, probably. But he didn't sign the paper. And he told the professor, I can't do that. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. So the professor looked at him. It was all set up, I'm sure. So he looked at him and he said, look, in order for you to pass the class, you're going to need to debate me and prove that God exists. We're going to have three debates, and the class will decide who wins the debates. So this student says, okay, and he starts pouring into study, you know, neglects his classes, studies and studies and studies. He wants to glorify God in this, right? And he stands up in the first two debates and he gets massacred. I mean, he, he loses. And then, and then his girlfriend says, you need to stop. You need to stop. You need to get out of this class. You need to stop doing this. And she says, or I'm going to leave you. So there's a price he has to pay. Not only that, it's his academic future because this professor has poll, right, for him to get into grad school. He loses his girlfriend. And in the last debate, he stands before the professor and he changes his tactics and he just asks the professor, why do you hate God? And the professor gets ticked off and he says, my mother died of cancer when I was a little kid. What kind of a God would do that? And then the student asked the professor, how can you hate somebody who does not exist? Right there and there, right then and there, it was a slam dunk. He won the debate, and all the students said that, and, and the professor walked out. And what this does is it reminds me of our text this morning. Look down, look, look at your Bible. Look at verses 16 and 17 of Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live 
by faith. Now, before we get into this text, I want to give you just a little bit of background. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote this book, right? And he wrote it from Corinth. And Corinth was a morally corrupt town. Um, listen to what one author said. Even to the pagan world, the city was known for its moral corruption. So much so that in the classic Greek, to behave like a Corinthian came to represent gross immorality and drunken debauchery. The name of the city became synonymous with moral depravity. In this letter to the church there, Paul lists some of the city's characteristic sins. Fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, stealing, covetousness, drunkenness, reviling, and swindling. Sounds like our country, doesn't it? Um, added to this corruption, the Apostle Paul also faced major persecution from the Jews. In fact, this persecution became so severe that Paul became fearful and feared for his life. Now, can you imagine that? Thinking the Apostle Paul was fearful? Well, the fear almost paralyzed the Apostle to the point where he's tempted to be silent. And let me show you that. Turn with me to the left, just a few pages, to Acts, Acts 18. This is when Paul first starts the church in Corinth. Acts 18.9, and it says this, And the Lord said to Paul in the, in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer. Okay, so that means he was fearful, right? But go on speaking, and do not be silent. So he's tempted to be silent. For I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So Paul, Paul was certainly fearful, and the Lord comes to him and allays his fears. And so today, we're going to look at four reasons why the Apostle Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. And we're, look, we're going to look at also why we should not be ashamed of the gospel either. And the first thing we're going to look at is the gospel is powerful. The gospel is powerful. Paul is saying in this verse that the gospel is the powerful source from God's words that changes men's lives for all eternity. You know, the world believes that there are many ways to change the human heart. They believe in psychological counseling, education, meditation, yoga, recreation, motivational speaking. And all of these are good things, but guess what? They cannot change the human heart. The only thing that can change the human heart is the gospel. Now, how did, how did Paul know that that was true? Well, listen to what he wrote in chapter 10, Romans 10, verse 17. He says this, So faith comes 
from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The word teaches that regeneration takes place in God's people by the hearing the gospel proclaimed. And regeneration is the idea of the change of the heart. It's taking a heart that is spiritually dead and making it spiritually alive. And that only happens when the gospel is proclaimed. Paul believed that. And he, he not only believed it, he also experienced it. And you all know that. Paul was on the road to Emmaus, remember? And he was ready to persecute the church even more. In fact, Acts 9.1 says that he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And in Acts chapter 7, he was there at Stephen's death, at Stephen's martyrdom. He was, Stephen was the first martyr of the church. And Paul was there leading it. Paul actually was part of the murder of Stephen. So Paul is on the way to Damascus one day, going to throw others in jail, right? Other Christians in jail. And he meets the resurrected Christ, and his life has changed. Can you imagine that? A 180-degree change in one moment like that. The once great persecutor of the church became its greatest preacher. His heart was changed through the power of the gospel. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, Mark, that was, you know, 2,000 years ago. That was 2,000 years ago. That was the first century. We're, we're living in the 21st century. You know, things don't happen like that anymore. They don't. You know, uh, I, I was reading an article about Alice Cooper. Y'all know Alice Cooper? Yeah, Alice Cooper. 1970s. Good, good time. 1970s and 1980s, he was a rock star. Not in my book, but he was a rock star. He dressed satanically. I mean, the, the guy was crazy. It got to the point he was, he was uh, addicted to drugs. He was an alcoholic. He had the doctors was telling him he had six months left to live. And he turned to Christ. And his life was transformed. And, and what's the amazing thing is, Alice Cooper grew up in a Christian home. His dad was a pastor. His grandfather was a pastor for 75 years. His father-in-law was a pastor. Can you imagine that? He says this, I... So I always refer myself to as the real prodigal son because I went out and the Lord let me do everything, said Cooper. Maybe he didn't let me do, but allowed it and then started reeling me back in. You know, you've seen enough. Let's bring you back to where you belong. And when you get out there, he said, and you realize that you've had every car, every house, and all that, and you realize that's not the answer. There's a big nothing out there at the end of all that. So materialism doesn't answer it. A lot of people say that there's a big God-sized hole in your heart. And when that, 
when that hole is filled, you're really satisfied, and that's where I am now. The gospel transformed his life powerfully, and guess what? Because of that, he wants to proclaim Christ to everybody. He is not ashamed of the gospel. And if you have somebody in your family who's not a Christian, don't think it's, they're, they're too far gone. Because if God could save the Apostle Paul, and if he can save Alice Cooper, he can save anybody. He can save anybody. I remember years ago, George W. Bush made a statement in his State of the Union address. He said this. He called Iran, Iraq, you probably remember this if you're my age, and North Korea, the evil axis. You remember that? And the news media uh, went nuts over that statement. And then I remember years before this, President Reagan called the Soviet Union the evil empire, and the news media went crazy over that statement. President's words are very powerful, aren't they? They can, they can encourage the nations, or they can bring discouragement to many. Words from the Oval Office can send the stock market soaring or can send it into a tailspin. But I want you to think about this. You have words. You have words that are more powerful than the words of the President of the United States. We have words of the gospel which are powerful enough to change a person's life for all eternity. And the question I ask you is, do you believe that? Because if you believe that, you won't be ashamed of the gospel. And many times I think we listen to our fears instead of listening to the truth of this verse. We stop believing in the power of the gospel and we start believing in the power of men. We begin to fear what men can do to us instead of what the gospel can do to them. Our fears silence us many times into shame. I once heard a Christian on the radio, he, he made this comment, he said um, that political correctness is the false philosophy of our day. And if we choose our words to say to others by political correctness instead of by the word of God, then we have fallen into idolatry. We are more concerned about what people think of us than what our God thinks. And this is when we need to remind ourselves. We need to remind ourselves of this passage and the power of the gospel to change lives. And if it could change Saul into Paul, if it could change Alice Cooper into a saint, it can change anyone. It's the same message that changed you and me. Well, the second reason why the apostle would, would not be ashamed of the gospel is because of it's the only path to God. 
It's the only path to God. Um, I love the movie Apollo 13. I love it when uh, the astronauts say, Houston, we have a problem. And they definitely had a problem, right? And they had to figure out with slide rules how to get back to Earth. Can you imagine that? Slide rules. We, my dad used to know how to do those. I, I don't. But they sit there and figure out how to get back into the Earth's orbit. And they do it in 15 minutes. They check with Houston. They've got the right answer. And they know they're on the right path safely home. And you know what? When you're on the right path and you're going safely home, it brings joy and peace, doesn't it? We have a message that we can tell others about the only pathway home. I remember a missionary told me a story. It's one of our missionaries. He was in London, and he said he was at a bus stop, and he was giving the gospel to a person. And he looked at the person, and he said, look, if I told you, if I didn't tell you, and you were about ready to get on a bus the bus over there, that was going to take you five hours out of the way, it would be unloving for me not to tell you to not get on that bus. That that's your bus over there, right? And the guy agreed. And then he started giving him the gospel. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but through me. You know, I once heard a Hindu man saying that Christianity is the only intolerant religion because we say that we know the only way. But we didn't say that. Jesus says that. And since he says it, he has the authority and the right to say it because he is God's only begotten son. You know, we have a whole culture that is saying there are many paths to God. And we have a whole culture that is getting ready to get on the wrong bus. And we have a glorious message that we can tell the world of the only path to God, which results in eternal life. This is a message that we should rejoice in and not be ashamed to proclaim. Well, the third reason why we should not be ashamed of the gospel is because it's a gospel for all nations. Look back at the text. Uh, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now when you read that, it makes it sound like the gospel, the Jews were more important. That the gospel was a priority to go to them first. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking historically. He's saying the gospel went to the Jews first historically in the Old Testament. And then it went to the Greeks. And then it went to the Gentiles. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the mystery of the gospel. That the gospel went to the Gentiles in the New Testament. And this reveals 
that the Jews aren't more important than the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are not more important than the Jews. The gospel is for all nations, and God is no respecter of persons. This means that the gospel is for your neighbor across the street, and it's also for your neighbor across the world. It also means that the gospel is for those we like, but also for those who are our enemy. Can you imagine somebody like that is in Al-Qaeda? Like, let's say Osama bin Laden is still alive and him becoming a Christian. That would show the power of the gospel to change a former terrorist into a follower of Christ. It would be like Saul turning into Paul. It's the power of the gospel for the nations. Well, the fourth reason why not to be ashamed is because the gospel is revealed to us. You know, one of the biggest reasons why the Jewish people look down on the rest of the world is because of their own self-righteousness. They thought that they were God's people because of something they did, and that goes totally against what Jonathan preached about last week, that the gospel is by grace and grace alone. They thought because of their circumcision, because of their having the scriptures, because of them being descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it gave them the right standing with God. The results of this is a nation that seldom reached out to the rest of the world. Notice the word reveal in this verse. Look at verse 17. It says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Notice the word revealed in this verse. This is an important word. And it's also a very humbling word. The word tells us that we weren't so bright, we weren't so wise, that one day we heard the gospel and we figured it out. No, God had to open our eyes to the truth of the gospel. Romans 3, 10 through 11 says this, There are none righteous, no, not even one. There are none who understands. There are none who seek for God. This verse is telling us that when we were not Christians, we didn't seek for God. We didn't seek for God at all. We didn't care about the things of God when we weren't Christians. The only reason why we know God is because this verse says He revealed it to us. He revealed it to us by grace. He came seeking after us, not us seeking after Him. And that is the difference between Christianity and every other world religion. And this is what Martin Luther discovered in his conversion to Christ. You know, he was studying this very passage. This very passage. And it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, uh, verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. He tried to figure out what it meant by the righteousness of God. And he, he just couldn't understand what God was talking about here. And he thought it was a righteousness of God that, man, that God required of men for them to be right with him. 
But finally, God revealed to him that it was a righteousness of God that God gives to men. That God gives to men. And notice I said revealed. You know, Martin Luther was a smart man. He knew Greek. He knew Hebrew. He knew Latin. He had a doctorate in theology. But it wasn't him figuring it out. It was God revealing it to him by grace. And when he revealed it to him, Luther spread the gospel to the rest of the world. And the rest is history. 1517, the Reformation began and the gospel exploded. The gospel exploded. And what we need to learn from this passage is that this is a revealed gospel. And it's the only one that is given by grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. What we deserved is hell. And because we have been graciously given this gospel, we need to graciously give it to others. Freely you have been given. Freely you need to give to others. In closing, uh, my daughter Jill is, uh, was 17 at the time. Um, she's now 24, which is unbelievable. But Jill, when she was 17, uh, drove over to a friend's house, and she was dropping something off. The friend wasn't at home, so she went down the driveway, pulled her car up, went down the driveway, walked down the driveway, dropped the package off for her friend, and turned back and started walking back up this long driveway. Well, a bus pulled up as she was walking down the driveway, and two ladies got off the bus, and they were carrying Bibles. Well, Jill recognized right away that these were two ladies that were Jehovah's Witnesses. And in her mind, she quickly started calculating, could she run to the car before those ladies could get to her? Then she stopped and, and by God's, you know, God's spirit, instead compelled her to talk to these ladies. So she talked to them for about 30 minutes. And at the end of it, she told me, she said, could I pray for you guys? And the lady said, okay. And I asked Jill, I said, why'd you do that? And she said, Dad, I, I, just, I just saw how lost they were, how blind they were. And, and so I wanted to do that. You know what? She came home so filled with joy. It might have been the first opportunity for her to share the gospel, but she was so excited to proclaim the gospel. And you know what? It, it's... It's the glorious message that we all have the privilege to proclaim. Don't shrink back. Don't be timid. Realize that it's the only message in the whole world that can take a spiritually dead person and make them spiritually alive. That's amazing. That's amazing. The words of uh, the song Rock of Ages sum it up well for me. It, it's, it says this, Not the labor of my hands, 
can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel to change lives. We thank you that the gospel is the only thing that can change uh, the human heart. Father, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to see how lost this world is. Father, help us to love our neighbor more than ourselves by giving them the gospel. Help us not to be ashamed or to fear what men think of us. But, Father, help us to boldly proclaim this message knowing that it can change their life for all eternity. Lord, we thank you for just the opportunities that we have and help us to pray and help us to ask you for opportunities every day to proclaim your word. Lord, we praise you for this time together and we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.